Hello and uh, welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and today I was joined by my friend Alex Stewart. Of course we all know that Manchester City are the Premier League champions so we dedicate the first half of the podcast to talking about them, their team, how fantastic they've been this season, picking out key players etc and questioning whether Pep Guardiola could do what he's done with Manchester City with any other teams in the Premier League. A fascinating question. Beyond that we speak a little bit about Manchester United which other teams in the top four, top five, we think, have clear tactical identities. And we go on to discuss the game between Newcastle and Arsenal. Before we get started, I would like to say as well that we've spent the last couple of weeks organising our schedule ahead of the World Cup and deciding what sort of content we would like to be releasing during that period of time. We've now agreed on that and we think we've got a really exciting schedule coming up. So in the coming weeks, I will let you know a little bit more about that. But suffice to say, we will be uh, working very hard during that period to get as many videos out as possible, relevant to the tactics of what is happening on that day, on the next day, the day before, etc. Anyway, that's all coming up in the coming weeks, but for now, uh, here's the jazz flute. Okay, so as uh, as it would seem natural to do, I think we're going to start with Manchester City. We've obviously spoken about them quite a lot over the course of the season. Uh, we even talked about them in last week's podcast. But they are, uh, as of uh, yesterday, the Premier League champions, Alex. They're 16 points ahead of Manchester United. Uh, some would say gifted the Premier League title on the final day by uh, Manchester United, falling to the bow of West Bromwich Albion at Old Trafford. Uh, slightly unexpected after their result uh, at the Etihad last weekend. I thought what might be nice to do is start by talking about Manchester City quite broadly, because I think despite the, the sort of stumble the last couple of weeks, they uh, you really could make an argument to say that they're one of the best teams that the Premier League has ever seen. So I would like you to make that argument now <laughs> and explain to me, um, you know, the two or three tenants of the, of, the t- of the side from a tactical perspective that are worthy of conversation, that are interesting to talk about and are, and are worthy of, of praise uh, at the end of a, of a long campaign for that team. I, I thought we had a, a, a rampant anti-City bias at TIFO. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we were regularly so, accused of being pro-Liverpool and anti-City. And, some people and would was, say so. Yeah. Um, no, uh, Manchester City are a hugely impressive side. Um, and I think what they've managed to do is... Obviously, it's Pep's second season in charge of City, and, and the first one was was transitional. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, who had a bias against him in terms of uh, the assumption that he'd succeeded at Barcelona and Bayern because things were sort of perfectly laid out for him there. You know, at Bayern, he inherited a treble-winning side. At Barcelona, it was a club that he was... Um, incredibly familiar with. He'd come through the ranks. He knew a lot of the players. Obviously, they had people like Messi there, you know, world-class players at, at the clubs that he'd inherited. And so there was a sense that he he can only do it under those circumstances. And there will be a lot of people who say that, that obviously City have spent a lot of money and, you know, if you don't inherit a world-class side, you just go out and buy them when you've got that sort of financing. But... There is no doubt to me that what we've seen through the course of this season is the enacting of uh, a tactical philosophy that Guardiola has had throughout his career 
and that he was seeking to implement last season in a way that that just took time because it's a difficult way of playing. And this season is the fruition of that hard work. And well, let, yes, let, let me ask you this. I think this is something that people will be interested in in hearing your opinion on, because um, you say, yeah, you say that lots of people had the opinion of Pep Guardiola that he walked into successful clubs. It was made very easy for him by the squads that were available to him when he arrived. I don't think anyone could argue that that was exactly the same situation at Manchester City. We'd seen that squad. Uh, achieve significantly less over the last few years and despite the fact that they do have fantastic players or had fantastic players there when Pep arrived last year certainly wasn't, uh, I think we'll all agree the standard um, of the overall quality as it was at Bayern Munich and Barcelona however, uh, talking about the way that Pep Guardiola does like to play we've spent a a lot of time focusing on his full-backs for example I know uh, for the second half of the season they haven't been as important in the uh, sort of inverted role as they were in the first half of the season but we did notice uh, as, as everyone did that uh, he spent an awful lot of money on fullbacks last season do you think Pep Guardiola could do what he does or what he has done with City at a team without the money to spend do you think he could he could uh, get a team playing in the way that his current Man City side are playing without having uh, money to spend on the absolute best fullbacks uh, to, 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 to complete that picture I think that's a very good question. Um, <clears throat> I I personally think that certainly if he had time at Spurs, he could probably do the same. Right. Um, I think I think actually Spurs probably have got fullbacks who are they're not quite of the same level, but but they would be good enough. And there's enough in that side, I think, um, for them to be able to replicate that. Um, I, I struggle to see, I mean, I think if, if he were given a season, two seasons worth of grace at, at any of the sort of top four, top five sides, he's shown that he can get players to adapt and to buy in to his system. And I, I, you know, I think you can look at, yes, okay. He, he spent a lot of money on, on fullbacks and, you know, he's recruited, players otherwise who've who've come in and and sparkled but you can also look at say the transition in Nicholas Otamendi's performances you know yeah. Otamendi was seen as something of a defensive liability um a, a little bit rash prone to making clumsy challenges positionally sometimes inept and he's he's turned Otamendi into arguably one of the best performing center backs in world football this season and and taking a role where, um, in terms of, of the possessional style, you know, Otamendi completes a lot of passes, he takes a lot of touches, that sort of triangle of safety that exists between the two centre-backs and Fernandinho dropping in to to keep the ball and recycle possession until the Juega de Posición style uh, creates its required overloads, either out wider in the half spaces in the pass can then be transitioned vertically at speed. So... You know, this is this is not a guy who simply comes in and buys people to complete what he needs, um, or is lucky enough to inherit them. Yeah, um, that's, this a, is, that's a very good point, isn't it? Yeah, he he can you know he can change or develop players who are who are good, you know, and solid and professional and buy into what he's doing. But he's he's not you know he's he's preparing for next season you know he's well we we, he's we mentioned uh, Fabian, Laporte, Fabian for example 
Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, Delph, Delph is kind of, you know, he sort of bumbled around the, the lower reaches of the Premier League for quite a long time, and he, you know, he, most of his career he played as a central midfielder, quite a defensively-minded one, and, you know, Pep had him playing as a, a left wing-back, um, and doing really well. You know, this is not like... It's not like there were there were kind of cracks to be masked over. Now, now people will obviously look at at the set of results that he had in in the Champions League, and also you know which bookended that Manchester derby defeat, and say, ah, oh, well, you know, it, it just shows that he's you know he's not achieved enough or whatever. And yeah, clearly the Champions League will have been a major target for them, but they're on course for I think probably a record points haul in the Premier League. The way they've played their football um, has been extraordinary. You know, it's. It, I don't think any even even the biggest city hater could not begrudge the style with which they've done this. It, it, it's not been a series of drab one nil wins. You know, this is stylistically this is ex, as exciting a team. This is up there with the Arsenal Invincibles and the Man United of two thousand and seven eight in terms of attractiveness to watch. Um, so I don't. Yeah. Football is is about debates, isn't it? People people love to have arguments, and and as soon as the result was confirmed yesterday, the usual suspects were on Twitter going, "Oh, you know, the City team isn't as good as all that," or "This is the best City team, best Premier League team of all time," or you know, United have done. That. I mean, I I don't care about any of that stuff to be honest. It, I I, I think people. People develop and engender debates partly because it serves their own function of having something to talk about and being contrary and trying to get traction on social media by doing it. I, I look at how teams play and and what I've seen with, uh, and I'd, I'd say really of, of the kind of the top sides, you can see it very clearly with... Um, Manchester City, you can see it very clearly with Spurs, and you can see it very clearly with Liverpool. These are sides that have a very clear tactical identity that stick to that and have improved while playing in a very similar way. And that's true within the context of each of those teams as well. There have been major improvements, and that's that's uh, that has been realised in, in in the league table. Yeah, I, I would say so, and and I think you know last season for me Spurs were the most attractive side playing in the Premier League. Um, they were an absolute joy to watch. Liverpool's front three this season have been scintillating throughout. Um, a good point to mention uh, right now might be that uh, at the current time Tottenham are nearly as far ahead of Arsenal as City are ahead of United. <laughs> yes, that is a good point. Well, you know, I, I think we'll come on to talk about Arsenal and Newcastle slightly later on during this pod but you know here are examples of three clubs who have brought in a manager who have backed that manager with funding when it's been required and who have given that manager the time and the space to create a tactical blueprint with with both Klopp and well actually with all three of them those clubs have recruited managers and then allowed them to develop a style or in Pochettino's case improve a style that had worked for them at previous clubs. Do you, you, know, do you so think, on a slightly different note, do you think that Ed Woodward, as 
the uh, as you know still and let, let's not let's not discredit Manchester United's achievement despite this weekend despite some other disappointing results across the season they are second fairly firmly so you know not so much now after the loss to loss to West Brom but you know them finishing second would not be a surprise uh, do you think that Ed Woodward might be looking over his shoulder and thinking okay the other three occupants of this top four have that clear tactical identity, have or seemingly have a clear plan, a clear idea of how they're moving forward. And Manchester United just seems more like a sort of uh, a, 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 a juggernaut, you know, throwing money around. Uh, I, I don't mean that as the, I know that's a cliche, I don't mean that in a negative sense, but you, you'd have to argue presumably that if they hadn't have um, spent all the money they had done in the summer, they probably wouldn't be anywhere near where they are now. I think, I think that's probably fair. And you know Lukaku's had a good season. Um, Pogba has has turned up in some games and and not so much in others. Although I, uh, you know, I've, I've always been quite sympathetic to the fact that he's he's not really. I I, I think he's not really felt like the the, the team has been no. built built around him in such a way as to maximise his talents. Um, yeah, and, that, that, and that, that, that's a good point, actually, because if you look back to the to the Manchester derby a couple of weekends ago, 2-0 um, down at half-time, and Pogba came on in the second half and played with a freedom that I don't think we've seen him play with for most of the season. The reason being that they had absolutely nothing to lose and that, you know, you can... You can it's it's going to be up to us basically to decide how much of that was uh, Jose Mourinho inspired or how much of that was the players deciding that they you know uh, they wanted to be a little bit slightly more gung ho about it you know but we saw examples of football in that second half from Manchester United that from an attacking point of view and from a linking up point of view uh, was some of the best that we've seen from them all season suddenly it looked like it fell into place for them and that these four or five fantastic forward players uh, understood each other in a way that they had never looked like they had before. They play the sort of football in in you know some moments in that second half that looked like the result of one of those three teams that we've just been talking about. They looked like they had a clear tactical identity, but the you know the irony being that they were doing something that they would never do from the beginning of a game. They were doing something that you would never expect Jose Mourinho to set them up to do. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right, and I think you can contrast that quite comfortably with their performance against West Brom yesterday. Where I think one of the things I I have started to pick up a sense of I think from from watching a lot of of games this season is that good teams play with with pace, but with mm. a sense of and by pace I don't mean they run fast, although obviously that's quite helpful. But the the speed of decision making and the ability to transition the ball quickly in a direction that makes sense with where the other players are going and moving yeah is something that's actually really apparent if yeah. if you watch a team that's not doing it and i would say for example arsenal against newcastle were not doing it southampton against chelsea did it very irregularly um there is a there's it's it's not to say a sense of purpose that's the wrong way of putting it it's a kind of feeling of of wanting to move the ball quickly and having confidence in your ability to control find the next pass with the man running into space that the and, good, and your teammates good, and your teammates exactly and and good teams have that good teams are able to play with that speed of thought and speed of execution that makes it look like they know exactly where it's going and why. 
and teams that are not so good they take half a second longer on the ball they spend a little bit more time looking for the pass and I think United when Pogba has not been freed up to do that um, have often looked quite ponderous and I think this is one of the reasons why Jesse Lingard has had such an outstanding season is that Lingard for me is one of the few Manchester United players who consistently looks like they know what they want to do that that whether he's dropping in and collecting the ball off central midfield or he's turning and running or he's moving out into the half space to create an overload Lingard does all of this with a sense of speed and purpose that suggests to me that he is keen to make things happen, that he knows what is in his mind. And sometimes the other players can link up with that and sometimes they can't. But but when you've got a team like Spurs or, or Man City, that seems almost instinctive at this point. And I think that's why we talk about giving managers the time to to impose uh, the way that they want to play on a side and, and allow them to develop a side because ultimately that's what you're trying to create. You're trying to create a sense within that team of if I move here, that guy's going to run there, that guy's going to be running off over there. I can make those decisions, I can play those passes rapidly because I know what's happening around me and I know what's expected of me in that role and I know what's expected of other players when the ball's in that position. And and that's what you look for in a good team. You look for that urgency, that purpose, that direction. And when you look at teams, and these teams might have incredibly, you know, like, I don't think anyone would doubt that Man United, Arsenal, <laughs> even Southampton, don't have some good players. But when everything takes that little bit too long, when there's a little bit of indecision about where the next pass is going to go or there's not enough movement ahead of them, it's really blindingly obvious if you watch the game a lot. And and that's why these teams aren't doing as well as they should. Well, I'll tell you what, for fear of, of being, uh, uh, you know, recalled for our city, uh, anti-city bias, Alex, uh, I, I won't linger on this too long, but I do just want to pick up on that point about Jesse Lingard because I do... I find him to be a very interesting player. Of course, we've we've covered him before. Um, it's over a year ago now. Uh, maybe maybe he's worth having another look at. But um, what what I wanted to ask about that is, is you mentioned there that he's you know possibly one of the only Manchester United players, at least in the forward lineup of that team, that's regularly and 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 consistently uh, looking to move things forwards and, and looks like he understands what he wants to do. He 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 also has become emblematic of that sort of you know, one-touch, quick-passing play, and whenever there is a passage of, of Manchester United forward play that appears like that, it's no surprise that you find Jesse Lingard at the centre of it. Do you think that it's a coincidence that he's the only player in that, you know, forward five, let's say, with the exception maybe of Marcus Rashford, who doesn't already think that he's made it and doesn't already think that he's, you know, the best player there? Because clearly, if you're Jesse Lingard, you must be looking around the bench and looking around the dressing room every game and thinking... It's a bit weird that I'm, you know, I'm even getting picked. I mean, I'm playing alongside, uh, not to suggest that he doesn't have any confidence, Alex, but I'm playing alongside Romelu Lukaku, Alexis Sanchez, Juan Mata. There's Anthony Martial here, who, you know, the club spent God knows how much money on. Marcus Rashford, who's barely even featured uh, for the second half of this season, despite the fact that, you know, he's uh, he's been uh, incredible at times. There's, uh, and Pogba, who's being forced to play behind me at times. 
uh, partially for formational reasons and partially because I'm, I'm doing so well. Do you think it's any coincidence that a player like that who knows he's got much, so much to prove and knows he has to fight, you know, has to, has to sort of, to use a cliche, throw everything in it along with the kitchen sink to make sure that he gets into that team? Is it a coincidence that he's the player that we're talking about? I think it's it's a very interesting point. I was going to actually mention Rashford as as being perhaps the other player who does seem to have what we're talking about here, um, and and it's an interesting contrast with with Sanchez, for example, who Sanchez seems very busy and seems very committed, and and obviously you know kind of gets knocked when people don't do what he thinks they should be doing, but it it's not necessarily always within a team context and I think that's why it doesn't work psychologically I mean god no we can only speculate at what goes on in Jesse Lingard's head and and I'm not sure any of us would be comfortable doing that um but I I think I think it's a an interesting question of of how professional sports people see themselves in that I don't doubt to be at that level, you have to have an enormous reserve of self-belief. So I, I don't think you could go into a changing room and think, oh, I'm not sure I deserve to be here, because then I don't think you would. I think you would, you'd kind of wilt under that self-imposed pressure. And, and I think it would be very easy to, to go into one's shell or to um, you know, be concerned about reputation and stuff like that. I, I think, I think you need to have a balance of thinking, I deserve to be here, and I'm just as good as these guys, but I also have to keep working hard to prove that. Um, and I think one of the things that Lingard has shown throughout his career, and you know, it's. I think it's probably fair to say that it's really only the latter half of last season and this season where he's really come into prominence, um, is that he has been prepared to, I don't want to say sacrifice his, his instincts necessarily, but he has been a team player. He's done what is asked of him. He's played, you know, pretty much everywhere across that, that three that sits behind a striker. Um, he's filled in in wide midfield roles in a four-man midfield in the past. He's, you know, he's, he's done what's necessary. And, and I think he's done that possibly partly because it was the only way he could get into the team at that point, but also because I think some people just have a sense that you do what is right for the team as a whole. And, you know, the, the, the players who will, sacrifice themselves in terms of not necessarily playing in the role that they're most comfortable in, not necessarily doing what's required of them to shine all of the time, but know that as a whole, the team will be better if they do what is instructed to them. Those are the players that you can actually build a yeah. team around. And that, that also speaks to their confidence within the team as well. And I, I think because if you have examples of expensive forwards you know as you said Romelu Lukaku's had a very good season but every time that he doesn't score for three games in a row people are constantly talking about it and you know think about it's it, it, it's so obvious that the the mindset of someone like that if they're at all uh, lacking in confidence going into a game is thinking I need to score today it needs to be me that scores today I need to make the goal today otherwise this is going to continue and you just don't see that with confident players uh, who aren't concerned about that who aren't concerned about their position within the club or aren't, aren't thinking about 
their, their value moving to another club. You just don't see it, and I think that's perhaps one of the one of the other reasons that we've seen it with Lingard. However, we have now talked about Manchester United for about half of the Manchester City <laughs> celebratory uh, Premier League podcast, and I think you probably could fairly accuse us of anti-City bias there. So let's move back to them now. I want to talk about key players uh, because there's. There's quite a lot of them, uh, as <laughs> yes. there is in any Premier League winning team. Of course, it's called a team. Uh, we could cherry pick, we could pick up players like Kevin De Bruyne, for example, who we have spoken about at length previously. David Silva also fills that role. Fernandinho, who I think we've talked about more than any other City player. Uh, we've already mentioned their fullbacks there. Aguero, who at times this season and last season, we were uncertain of his relationship with Pep Guardiola, did Guardiola want to use him from a tactical point of view of course Jesus has come through as well and had a fantastic season and Raheem Sterling of course who scored you know I think 20 goals or something silly uh, which none of us would have expected seeing him play last season so it's up to you Alex where would you like to start and if you had to pick three names let's say uh, which is probably quite unfair since they are a team uh, if you had to pick three names which would be the key players that that you would like to, to, to focus on for a moment? Um, I, for me, Sterling has been exceptional. Um, I think it's I think it's very easy to say that you know De Bruyne. De Bruyne has been, along with Mo Salah, the the best player in the Premier League this season. Um, but I think if you want to pick somebody who has who has developed with the team, who has found a role and. Um, who seems also, I think, in Sterling's case, to have cropped up with so many important goals, so many goals that that have have been at turning points in in matches. Um, he's really stepped up. I think um, you know he had he had a very difficult Euro twenty sixteen. He came in for a huge amount of criticism there. Obviously, there's there's always been a very unhealthy purian interest in what he's up to off the pitch um which given that he actually never seems to misbehave just just serves i think to irritate the tabloids who've got this slightly um well I, let's call it what it is a slightly racist agenda against successful young black men playing football um and and yet time and again he has shown this you know i'm reminded of that kind of breakthrough season at liverpool where he he pretty much carried Liverpool that season. Yeah, um, and he only scored nine goals. And and you know here he's. He, I'm not saying that he's carried City by any stretch of the imagination. They are very much a team, as you correctly said. But but he's just been in a lot of instances the guy who has found that something extra, um, and to do all of that with everything else that's been going on for him um with the criticism of him and uh, I, I i think that's that's hugely impressive fernandinho yes i think fernandinho is is really the guy who who makes the system click as a whole rather than just being the one who does the pretty things and has you know again de bruyne silva they they are capable of of sumptuous moments of football that make us all sit back and go wow that was incredible but but those guys don't do that if you don't have a Fernandinho um it's it's not possible for City to commit so many men forward into the attack without a player of Fernandinho's solidity positional sense um 
tactical fouling, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to kind of secure things. Uh, and I think the final difference um, has been Edison. Um, I think if you look at, at how many issues City were caused last season by the inconsistency of Claudio Bravo, um, you know, Pep needs his goalkeepers to play a certain kind of way. And if if there's any position that requires confidence uh, and uh, an immediate sense of I belong in this dressing room, it's, it's playing in goal. Well, in fact, actually, I, I would like to drop in at this point and say that, uh, unfortunately, I can't remember the name of the person who did tweet this, but my favourite uh, summary of, of Edison this season was uh, as a bang average keeper, but an incredible sweeper. You know, and I think that's uh, that's quite a, that's quite a funny idea. Yeah, and and I think it's also bollocks um, because he's far from a bang average keeper. Um, sure. Tell me why, Alex. Tell me why. Why? Because yeah. well, I suppose it, there are two answers to that question. Firstly, it depends what you define the keeper's role as. Um, Let's just call it shot stopping. Right. Okay. Shot stopping and cross claiming. Um, yeah. Edison is actually very good at both of those. Um, his Prove it, mate. Back it up. Is, <laughs> what, what by by creating oh, an image of video oh. in in people's minds? No, he. His, so I'm just I'm just trying to reinforce our anti city bias. Don't oh I'm right, just, okay. I'm just questioning everything that you're saying. Sure, his his positioning and his footwork are very good. Um, he rarely gets beaten by. Uh, the sort of you know six or seven out of ten shots. It's it's the yeah, you you have to hit a very good shot to to beat him. He seems to command his area very well and yes okay he's a sweeper keeper insofar as we everyone seems to be using football manager terms now and in how they discuss football regularly but um he comes very far out he's very very good with his feet but it's not just that he his sense of where he is in his area where his teammates and where the opposition are in his area means that he by and large makes very very good decisions about when to come out and when not and I think you can if you're a keeper who's well known for that style of play someone like a, a Manuel Neuer or a Mark Andre Testegen then it can be tempting always to come out and always to try and to sweep up and do that but Edison is not rash um in in that way so you know I think he's I think he's adapted exceptionally well I think the fact that City can City can attack the way they do in large part because Edison allows them to have such a high defensive line and then Fernandinho puts in such a lot of effort in front of those two central defenders. Um, So all of the pretty stuff that happens up top, which is very exciting and lovely to watch, you you couldn't do those if you didn't have that that spine of the team um, doing exactly what was required of them all of the time. no. Well, uh, a word uh, a word on the pretty stuff that happens at the top. I've uh, looked up the uh, season statistics of uh, Raheem Sterling. Uh, 46 appearances, 23 goals, uh, one in every other there. And also, uh, key to this is uh, nine assists and seven man-of-the-match performances. Yeah, and man-of-the-match yeah. performances are basically arbitrary and pointless. But Come on, come on now. He was the man of that match. <laughs> What does what does that mean to you, Alex? Well, like 
you know, Chelsea Southampton Giroud was man of the match because he came off the bench and scored two goals. He that, deserved it. That's really great, but he wasn't right, listen, the best player on the pitch. We've celebrated Manchester City now. Uh, we both really like them. Please stop calling us anti-City <laughs> because we uh, predicted Liverpool would win, which we're they not, did, by the way. We're not anti-anyone. No. We're not... Well, well, okay, I'm anti I think I might, I might be anti-everyone, but uh, that's at least it's even. But, uh, let's move on uh, to, because we've got probably five minutes now, talk about Newcastle-Arsenal. Um, and uh, first, you know, just, just, just to interject before we do that, I do want to point out, yes, we have started this new format towards the end of the season, so it seems a lot like uh, to me, and also probably to you, that we spend most of our time talking about one of the other Manchester clubs. That's probably true at the moment. Uh, come next season, that won't be happening at all. And we do want to be as broad in our coverage uh, of uh, of the Premier League as we are on our YouTube channel. That's a little plug there. YouTube, TIFO Football, head over there. If you're here, you've probably been there before. Uh, Newcastle beat Arsenal 2-1 at the weekend. Alex, that happened on Sunday. And uh, Rafa Benitez's team have uh, crawled over the 40-point mark, 41 points now. Um, and uh, they've pr- pretty much secured safety, haven't they? What on earth happened here? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Newcastle played better. Um, is yeah. is is the the fair answer? I think. Okay. I, obviously, this season there's there's you know a lot of people are going to talk about about how great Guardiola's been. A lot of people, rightly so, because obviously we don't have an anti city bias. Um, a lot of people will talk about how. Pochettino has coaxed some incredible performances out of Spurs, particularly mm. in Europe. Mm. Uh, Sean Dyche at Burnley, obviously. For me, the other outstanding manager has been Rafa Benitez. Um, what he's achieved with a squad that is still, to my mind, essentially a good championship squad um, and not really a Premier League level squad um, is is exceptional. Um and you know he's he's had a fairly consistent game plan throughout um you know there's 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 a, a midfield axis where someone like Modi Army is the the kind of the enforcer and Shelby is there to transition the ball quickly forwards and and some of Shelby's passing has has been brilliant um, and he's not getting sent off every game no, he's not. I mean, there are a couple. <laughs> there was, I think, a, at least one fairly tasty challenge yesterday. Yeah, but one. You know, one, give you know, him one. I know. Um, you know, they they they've they've integrated a couple of. I mean, Kennedy on loan has has done very well when he's come in, um, and this new goalkeeper Debravka, who I will be the first to admit I knew absolutely nothing about before Newcastle signed him. Uh, has looked like an absolute steal. Um, I'm not sure whether he's a permanent signing or a loan signing, but I'm sure there'll be an option to buy and Newcastle will be exercising that. But you've basically, you've still got a, a side with, you know, Paul Dummer at left back and Dwight Gale up front. You can't, you can't comfortably achieve Premier League safety with that unless you've, unless you've really got a strong sense of what you're trying to do. And Newcastle have been direct. They've looked to play with width a lot. Um, they've used Perez coming in off Gale to score. Uh, Shelby's been excellent. Diami's been excellent. Florian Lejeune, the new centre-back, has been very, very strong. So Arsenal... Lovely. 
Arsenal yesterday looked like Arsenal have looked this season. Um, moments of brilliance. He was he was seeing what it was like to play Aubameyang and, and Lacazette up front together, and at times that worked quite well because I think Aubameyang is is not unused from his time at Dortmund to to playing into the channels quite a lot um, and Lacazette was able to linger a bit more centrally but then they seemed slightly unbalanced um, I think Elneny and Xhaka is, is still you know that they're, they're not a midfield combination that inspire a great deal of confidence um, and Mustafi I thought made some mistakes at the back they just they just I know right they just don't seem to have um that sense of purpose that we were talking about there's there's too much of a reliance on individual moments and the thing is that Arsenal have got enough players who are who are really good like you know see Danny Welbeck's performance against Southampton last week last weekend um where they can create something more or less out of nothing and you know probably six or seven times out of ten that would be enough to 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 win them points but they just don't seem to have a sense of what they're trying to do at the moment. Um, no, I feel like at this, this point I should uh, almost as if I'm declaring a political interest, uh, you know, ahead of a ahead of a debate, Alex. That uh, I do actually have a bias <laughs> against Arsenal. Okay, I do actually have a bias um, purely because I worked for a long time in a pub in Islington uh, where Arsenal fans congregate, and as I'm sure anyone who works in a pub. Uh, in a in a large footballing area can attest to unless they support the team of the fans in the pub they don't like that football team so i'm still trying to get over that but uh, i'm aware of it you know when i when i uh, make jokes about mustafi or their position in the league it's not because i'm a spurs fan it's just because i have a, an irrational hate that i've been unable to fully get over yet but uh, that's why i'm leaving you to do all the talking <laughs> <laughs> yeah i yes i it's um Arsenal and I love Arsenal. Arsenal are Arsenal. You know, that's. <laughs> I think we've got to the point now where we just we just sort of expect that there'll be there'll be enough moments of individual greatness every once in a while to keep them interesting and and that's the problem in though, the sort it? of top six. But yeah, that's they, always they, that's always been their problem. I mean, you know, and again, they need uh, an trying overhaul. To, trying to leave, they do, and trying to leave the bias aside. I think the the problem I have with Arsenal um, objectively is that uh, when you listen to conversations that take place over the, you know, I think this is a, this is a fair point in, in each of the last five seasons, let's say perhaps even six or seven, you'll find that the conversation is almost identical in every season. And that that's because uh, the problems are almost identical in every season. And as much as I love Arsene Wenger as a person, and I wish he was my dad, Alex, I really do. Hmm. I really do. Uh, I wish he was my dad. Um, <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, he hasn't. You know, he hasn't really solved any of the, any of the problems, uh, and they, they've they've been uh, consistent in their inconsistency for far too long. Uh, so I I really do think it, it, it's it, it's time for him to move on. And I never thought I'd say that because I like him, but I hate the team. Yeah, and I don't think he can go on infinite. I mean, he's he he's old, and he's, he definitely he's, can't go on infinitely. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, no but it. Not. But it's one of those odd things where it's kind of a bit like Ferguson um, towards mm. the end of his time at United. Mm. And I don't, yeah, I'm not drawing when's parallels. When's he going to go? When's he going to go? When's he going to go? Yeah, but also, when's he going to look like it's 
time to go, or that yeah. he feels it's time to go. And, and I, I think, think it's past that point. I think they, they nearly I think won it's the league well about three past years that ago for, that was, for Wenger. That time. And yeah. I, I think the issue with Wenger is that he, if if you could see, there there have been moments this season where he's tried something a bit different, where he's tried three at the back. Um, that's really been the only general tactical change that he's he's sought to implement but there just doesn't seem to be a freshness of ideas there there doesn't seem to be um you know it, you you buy a player like Aubameyang who is you know, a really really great forward and then you don't expect him to play off the shoulder and charge into space behind because actually Arsenal don't play that way Arsenal don't play a direct style of football that that has these kind of long vertical passes up from the back where you're you're trying to spring an offside trap or you're trying to create little overloads out wide before setting an angled ball in but it's but it's from sort of two you know two or three removes from from the um the the line behind the goal the the goal line that was what it would be called you know they this this is how Dortmund played when they were playing well and which they're not doing at the moment um and and it worked for Aubameyang, and that's why he scored so many goals. Arsenal are set up differently. It's like they've just gone, right, we need to find a really good striker who's quite fast because we He's had good. that guy Thierry Henry once and he was decent. So let's go and find let's go and find a really fast striker. Oh, he'll do. With without thinking, like, you know, actually <laughs> The, 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 how how does this fit in with the way that we want to play? And I think you can only answer that question if you know how you want to play. And and you know, if, contrast them with Newcastle. There is no doubt in my mind that Rafa Benitez knows exactly what he is trying to do with that Newcastle team. Every single game, he knows. And I just don't get that sense from Arsenal at the moment. No, how sad for them. Well, I mean that. I mean that genuinely. Yeah, you're talking I mean to genuinely. a Southampton fan, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, listen. Uh, we'll we'll come back next week. We'll talk about the other football that that has happened then, uh, and uh, hopefully it won't just be about Manchester City and Manchester United. Not that we wouldn't want to talk about Manchester City. We don't have a bias, as I've established. My only bias is against Arsenal. <laughs> it's not real. It's not a real bias, by the way. I was just making that up for fun. Uh, I mean, I did work in a pub, and I hated them at the time. But uh, I, I hold no ill will. I don't have the energy for what do they call them when you hold a grudge? Holding a grudge. Hold a grudge. I don't have the energy for grudges. Anyway, uh, that was uh, the Tifo Tactics podcast, Tifo Football Podcast Weekly. Tifo, um, thanks very much for listening, Alex. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks very much for having me. Uh, speak to you again next week. Au revoir. Au revoir. Suicide loves silence. Break the silence. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Talking about thoughts of suicide may be a source of relief to the person at risk. Listen to them. Let them talk. And let them know you care and are concerned. Suicide is preventable. Learn how to discuss your concerns. Recognize it. Talk about it. Act on it. Learn more at recognizetalkact.org. A message from the Virginia Department of Health.